the empire of lies, an oasis of free speech, open debate, and the truth in the vast wasteland that is the new world order under Joe Biden. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. And it's a backstory on a Carmine Monday. Do we have Carmine Sabia there? We do, we do, we do, we do. You know, you didn't say Carmine Monday to start the show. I'm very offended, highly offended. Well, we got right to it after the boom, right? You did, you did, but I cried a little. Okay, try to recover. How you doing, man? You have a nice weekend? You know what, man? I did. I did have a nice weekend. I, uh... Just hanging and banging in Venice Beach, California, you know, pumping iron. Really? No, that's all Bogan. I'm sorry. I was uh, okay. I was working in my office in New Jersey. That was me. Sorry. I, I get confused. Because I've the whole Venice thing. has gone very nasty lately. God, I've never Venice used to be sort of nasty, but I've heard with the homeless situation, it's gotten even by the canals very nasty. Did you pay attention to the Italian election this weekend? Not even a little. Well, we'll be talking about that because it's all over the news. They have their first woman prime minister. Does that sit well with you, Carmine? I uh, I don't care. Um, The one thing I learned about Italian politics is that they have a new government every like three years, every every, like two years. It's constant. they're, they're fascists, they're socialists, they're capitalists, they're, they, they can't, well, they is, can't they're keep it straight. They're saying they're fascists. The big headline in the mainstream media is that it's the first right-wing government they've had since Mussolini. And some would say it's very fitting that it's a woman. And now I might get in trouble for that. But would you that's, agree that's, that it's some, some, somewhat fitting? Um, Yeah. And also, when the news media says a right-wing government, I don't trust it. Do you? No. <laughs> no, of course so, not, brother. Well, first of all, if the news media said it was raining outside and I could hear the rain pounding, I still I still look out the window to check. And by the way, that rain you hear pounding could be in Canada or could be near Tampa. Did you hear Hurricane Ian? He's on his way to Tampa, Florida. So I just got off the phone with my friend. He moved from New Jersey to Tampa, or right outside of Tampa. And um, I, uh, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. He's, uh, yeah. he's a very it's good friend of mine. One. They're talking about Andrew, you know? Yeah, they're, they're, talking. they're talking about if you can get 20 miles inland, do, or we're not going to rescue you. I like those warnings that they give sometimes that say, move or you're on your own. Do you like it when they do that, Carmine? My favorite, I'm not a big fan of his right now, my favorite was Chris Christie when he actually got on TV and said, get off the effing beach. Like, there was people still out sunbathing as Hurricane Sandy was approaching. And he was like, get yes. off the effing beach. But yeah, no, I, I like the you're on your own argument because don't, you can't expect that the people's lives in danger. Here's my, <coughs> here's my take. Maybe you have a caller who <laughs> call in later and explain this to me but I've always wondered this I gotta stay here to protect my house okay I would like the specifics on what you're going to do to stop the hurricane from destroying your house I want the specific information like I want them to be very specific now I'm also going to ask you about COVID-19 in a second Carmine because there are new conflicting claims 
I don't want I heard there's a super one coming out of there, Russia. There are two. What's that? I heard there's like a super one coming out of Russia. Is that true? Uh, COVID-19? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, it was in a headline. It's like, resistant to all vaccines. Well, let's get to the booms, though. It's a great show today. Rod's put together for us on the show today. The great Ted Rawl talking about the Italian election and other stuff that's going on in the world. Ted Rawl, first hour. Second hour, from Consortium News, the great Joe Loria talking about Julian Assange and also Edward Snowden has got Russian citizenship. Have you heard of that, Carmine? I just heard that today, yeah. Yeah, so I'm saying good for him. He's a Russian citizen. He's more safe there than would be agreed in the U.S. But he'd be in jail here. Right. And he probably would not be safe in jail. No. Yeah, so. He'd probably get whacked. So, Joe Loria on the show today. And Carmine, please do the boom. Here come the boom. Because this is the backstory. A little. Slightly Captain Loabano there, I will say. Let me tell you something, brother. Yeah, you remember Captain Loabano. I love Captain, man. Captain was a great guy. There we go. Do you you remember meeting him in person? We talked. We talked. Great guy. No, I'm not surprised. Great guy. Uh, Eccentric character. Great guy. Indeed. Did you even like his Cindy Lauper period? Ah, loved it, man. I was a little kid. I was there a little kid, go. man. I was, I was all about it, man. I was, I was girls just want to have fun. I was down with girls wanting to have fun. I wanted to have fun with her too. Yes, I didn't know what indeed. that meant. I just, yeah, I was a little kid. I just wanted to dance. And there we go. Carmine reliving his youth on the backstory. That's right. Once again. Oh, I can tell you. So, so, let me tell you, so you want to hear about reliving my youth? Wait, no, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you a story, Lee. And your listeners, okay, your listeners go for are going to. They're going to tremble. They're going to get scared. But I'm going to tell you the story. You know what I did this month? I'll tell you what I did this month. First, about 20 years ago, there's a company called Memory Lane. And Memory Lane purchased, uh, they got the rights to all the Rankin-Bass holiday specials, Christmas specials. They also got the rights to the Charlie Brown specials. Okay? I purchased all of their, these are 20 years old. All of the Charlie Brown Halloween figures, and I'm going to decorate my house with them for Halloween. All of the Charlie Brown Christmas figures, Year Without a Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. They all had figures made, got them all. And I got all the Christmas Story figures, Clark Griswold in Santa outfit, uh, Buddy the Elf, Garfield in a Christmas outfit, and gosh, oh, and the three Home Alone figures, Marv, um... Marv, Harry, and Kevin. And this is how I'm decorating my house for Christmas. Bro, it cost me like three grand. <laughs> like three grand to buy these toys. the 80s, right? But you know what, bro? Because if, And people are telling me you're insane, you're insane. But these cartoons were such a part of my childhood. It just, it to me, so important. So important, and and to be able to decorate my house with these little figures, and they're nice figures. It breaks my heart to take them out of the package because I know I'm I'm destroying the value of them the second I do that. Um, yeah. 
but that's the whole reason I bought them was to decorate with them, right? And I thought about right. I was going to also get because they also made the Mickey's Christmas Carol figures, but they don't look very Christmassy. And I thought to myself, you know, they don't really fit with my motif of oh, and I got the Grinch figures. So that's pretty much my my like, childhood right there. Do you, do you know, I'm surprised the woke movement has not really picked up. They have not had an aggressive war against Christmas. I would argue a semi-aggressive war, but not not really trying to destroy Christmas. And they well, destroyed agree. everything else. I agree, do, and I'll tell you, you how think, they could do it if they want to. Give me ideas. Go ahead, Carmen. I've always expected uh, a Christmas story is centered around a boy wanting a BB gun. Okay? Yes. So I thought that would be gone. There is not one black, Hispanic, or Asian character or gay character in Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Year Without a Santa Claus, all of those old Christmas stuff. There's not a single a character of color in any of them. And so I actually talked to a couple of uh, a friends of mine who, you know, are, uh, are are of color. Is that what we're supposed to say now? Of color? And um, in colored people? Because oh, no, of color is just another way of saying colored people. No, we can't say but that. The, it's the order of the words apparently matters. Okay. The, the order of the word. It is the exact same thing. I agree. But the order of the words apparently matters. So, um so anyway, I talked to a few of them, and I was like, you know, did that bother you not seeing? We could ask Rod here, too. Uh, did that bother you not seeing so could, a character? Could you, just quickly, Carmine, could you call someone Tom of Uncle? I, Is I that don't possible? Think so. I don't think so. The, it's, but it's the wrong order. I got yeah, the order wrong. wrong. I can. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> but I asked her, I said, did it bother you to not see characters, you know, that look like you? And to to a man, each one of them was like, didn't even think about it as a kid. Didn't even think about it as a kid. And I think that says a lot. It's the adults that think about it. Now, I, I agree. I think now it's good that we're doing multicultural stuff because I was watching Frosty the Snowman. I think it was last year is why I brought it up. And I said to my friend, I was like, you know, watching this as a kid, like, I didn't realize it. But now looking at it now, I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself, gosh, you know, black people, they didn't, black kids didn't have anybody to look at and be like, that kid looks like me in the cartoon. He's like, dude, we never even thought about it. And then I thought about it. And I'm like, well, where was the Italian guy in Frosty the Snowman or any of these cartoons? There wasn't, right? So uh, it's six of one, half a dozen of another. Right? Not every culture is represented. It was a very white culture. So, you know, it, it, it is what it is. We, we live with it, I guess. My point being is we live with it. So I don't want to change. I don't want to change what was. I don't want to take these shows off the air because they're not woke enough. Although I got them all on DVD because I figure at some point they are absolutely going to take these toys off the uh, these shows off the air. But now, Carmine, this brings up a good point, and I've never heard anyone make this. Do you know who I blame the assault on our democracy on? Christmas. Uh, what? Christmas, Santa. Let me explain. We know that in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and the statewide, uh -huh. a couple of days ago, they announced the start of voting season. And oh. Rod and I were talking about this. I you can that, now vote absentee. Right. Exactly right. Because it destroys democracy. Because it does. Election day should be a day, 
Right, right. That's your feeling. I have been saying this for years. It's election day, not election season. No, right. So I what happens Santa. if something happens a week before the election and you find out some but, information but, but, about that but, candidate you voted I'm for? I'm Santa. Now hear me out on this, Carmine. I think okay. I'm right. I think I'm on to something. Because my girlfriend and I went to Costco the other day. And already at Costco, the Christmas stuff is out. And we've gotten used to this. I mean, if I told you the Christmas stuff was at Costco, you're not shocked, are you? You've seen that before. Of course. Christmas starts coming in September. And what I'm saying is, if you can start Christmas in the fall, what's wrong with Election Day in September, too? Do you see what I'm saying? Our standards have gotten lax on Christmas, and we've allowed Christmas to become like a four-month season for shopping. Correct. And you notice this for all holidays. Valentine's Day, they'll start the day after Christmas, right? Yes, immediately. So I'm saying— I'm honestly surprised, if you want to know the truth, I'm honestly surprised they haven't found a way to sell gifts for— for um new year's you know baby new year's coming down the chimney right baby new year's coming down the chimney and he's going to bring you new year's presents that's but do and you do hate the election season right when i was a kid i I don't remember this when i was a kid i remember election day i don't remember any of this other stuff i i i I I yeah and they say oh it's impossible for people to vote we're and then when you try and stop that and try and say, look, no, let's do election day, you want to, what is it? You want to restrict the right to vote? No, 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 dude. I don't even think this is constitutional. Right. I don't, and think, also, I don't even think this is constitutional. And if they want to expand it to two days or whatever, would you throw a conniption fit if they expanded it to two days of voting? I wouldn't. I don't care. No. And so a lot of people but, say, well, if it's going to be. If it's going to be uh, just one day, then you got to make it a national holiday. So my answer to that is, okay, no problem. Yeah, right. Go for it. Uh, I don't see the issue because guess what? Do you think the people who were not going to vote, okay, the people who were not going to vote, they're still not going to vote. You think they're going to take their day off and say, well, now that i got a day off, I'm going to go vote today. They were never going to vote. Give them the holiday. I don't give a, I don't give a damn. And uh, yeah. the other thing, the other thing that drives me crazy, bro, Oh, everybody should vote. No, 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 no. Less people should vote. Carmine, you hate democracy. No, no, no. I don't hate democracy, but I'm not a fan of stupid people voting. I think if you don't have any idea what's going on, the most patriotic thing you can do is to not vote. If you don't understand the issues, now I know it takes a lot of self-reflection to say this, but if you don't understand the issues and you don't understand really what these guys are, are, are all about, and you're just voting, oh, well, they told me Jimmy Kimmel said and Taylor Swift said, if that's how you're voting, please stay home. You're ruining it for everybody else. So, yeah, Let I'll talk about this now. now. Speaking of stupid people, so have you seen on Twitter, pretty much every day after the show, I go and I sit in a lawn chair in front of my house, and... uh because I got, got a lot of traffic. It's a very well-trafficked street. And I hold up an impeached Joe Biden sign. Have you seen those pictures on Twitter or Instagram, Carmine? Have you really done, have you really done that? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. Hilarious. I hold, hold no. up an impeached Biden sign. 
every day after a show. And Danny takes a picture and we put it up online. You can see it. So that's hilarious. On, on Friday, we had the first time someone came by that and was, was hostile. That was it. I what? just finally got it. I was trying to think today. I was like, somebody I know says Friday, and it's you. Yeah. So on Friday, we got <laughs> waylaid by a hostile South Dakotan who did not like my. He came up started with an aggressive attitude. Of course not. But I did argue with him. And I'll tell you what's the most fascinating. The guy came up to me and said, was Joe Biden done wrong? Why he should be impeached? And I said, okay. I said, do you know that the Hunter Biden laptop is real? And this dude said, no, it's not. And he was absolutely convinced that the Hunter Biden laptop story was fake. To this day. Now, I find that a little bizarre. I don't. Yeah. No, why don't you? Because people, gosh, there's no nice way to say that. Okay. People are stupid, bro. Right. They're stupid. And they're they're stupid because they don't want to be smart. This guy got very aggressive when I pointed out the New York Times and the Washington Post and everybody. No one... Is anyone denying the Hunter Biden laptop is real outside no, this guy's anymore. head? Nobody anymore. Even the not Biden even, administration. Not even the Biden administration. Yeah, I was going to say. And when I started to get, when I said, let me, you know, th- this is not debatable because it's not, right? Right, Carmine? We you could debate whether Joe Biden's a bad president. That's, I will say, debatable because it's not, not really the kind of thing. But I get you. Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying. I don't think it's debatable either. But at least opinions vary, right? Correct. On the Biden laptop, that's a fact. The same way the temperature Correct. of water boils is a fact, right? Correct. Correct. And this guy got very angry, very angry with me because I thought the Biden laptop is real. And I realized how stupid that our adversaries are. And that made me feel somewhat better about things. Does that make sense, Carmine? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Gosh, I mean, I'm almost sad for you that you're shocked. Well, I just, because I, I could see someone saying, well, obviously it's real. And then the guy, you know what his second line was. Um, so you're saying, why does Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden doing something? And he would say Hunter, Hunter Biden, Biden has nothing to do with Hunter Biden has nothing to do with Joe Biden, right? And and I said, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Joe Biden was involved in a scheme where he was getting kickbacks, and proof of it is on the laptop. And, and then and he proceeded to say, and and then he proceeded to say, well, if. Your children doing something wrong means you, you're you bad. Then Trump should have been arrested so many times. And I did say to him, what are you talking about? Because what's he talking about? I forget the part where Eric Trump was smoking crack. And does John, John, John Jr. have a thing that I don't know about for crack horse on a, yeah. a, a trip across country? Yeah, I mean, 
none of none of them actually did anything. So I, right. What this guy meant was I don't like Trump's kids. Correct. That's what he meant. That's what he meant. Now, now, and by the way, my friend Jason Goodman was up in South Dakota this weekend, and it was great, great to see Jason and hang out with him. And a quick programming note: we have pre-taped a show for tomorrow. Because do you know what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm in divorce court, Carmine. Oh. Yeah, all day. So this is the final thing, I guess, in theory. It's been going on two years. You know. I don't know, man. I think Sputnik should give me a show. Well, you have to take that up <laughs> with, take that up with Putin. Uh, is Ask that who runs nice things life. here? So the New York Times tells me. Well, everybody so, already thinks everybody already thinks I work for him. So, right? Did you get hassled because you do the show? Um, no, no. I I, I would say no. Uh, if people, well, when people, I mean, when people, when people know I'm on, yeah, I've absolutely gotten like if I share it or um, you know, you're a Russian asset. But I mean, I get that every day anyway. So it's not like it's not like uh, something new. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you're yeah. you're a Russian. You're this. You're that. You're the other thing, right? So, I, I kind of find it. I yeah. laugh. I laugh, bro. I, you know, look. I know I'm an American. I love my country. I love my country. Now, so, uh, speaking of which, we're getting closer to the midterms. So, and that means we're closer still to 2024. Have you made any decision? Are you going with the nominee? I, in my mind, I have, but I'm not going to say. Okay, why not? I'll say this. He, he comes from Florida. Okay. So so we I've heard have you heard Trump is getting upset about DeSantis getting this is what the media is spreading. Well Trump's from Trump Trump's from Florida too. Just keep that in mind. Oh good good point. Let's take a short break. Then we when we come back, the great Ted Raw will be with us here on the backstory. Backstory and back on the radio, 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Do you think it's cool, Carmine, by the way, that we're on the radio? Uh, yeah, I think it's very cool. On the radio. Whoa. The radio. I'm sorry. I like that part that we're on the, on the radio in D.C. I picture that is, broadcasting. I find that hilarious. Yes. It's great. So... 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in the Washington, D.C. area. And we're joined now. CNN did a whole hit piece on us. Yes. And we're still here. So, haha. And Don Lemon's, what's he doing Saturday mornings now? Before oh, the he's, trying to, he's trying to talk about this like it's a promotion, which I find H I hilarious. He's like, this is actually a promotion. Yeah. No, no, it's not, homeboy. No. Yeah. It's a promotion into. You're being watched by who watches CNN in the morning? Me. No, but I'm serious. Who? No, I think only me. I, I, it's very low rated. Because I would guess the women who are getting their kids to school prefer Good Morning America 
or Today Show, right? Well, and Fox and Friends is huge, right? I mean, so you know, I have friends at CNN and Fox, so I don't I don't try to be a jerk about it, but I mean, obviously, the man was demoted. It's it's very obvious the man was demoted. It, you had a primetime show named after you. Now you're part of an ensemble cast in the mornings. You've been demoted, my friend. Yeah. So joining us now is author, cartoonist, and bon vivant, broadcasting from a small island off the coast of the United States, the great Ted Rawl. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I'm good, Lee. Uh, maybe, maybe better than Don Lemon. You know, I, I was thinking Saturday, no one's going to school, right? So uh, no one's watching Saturday morning. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. So remember Saturday morning what cartoons? Do what do you think's going on over at CNN, Ted, with Don Lemon being demoted and with uh, Brian Stelter being off the air? What's causing this shakeup over at CNN? Uh, well, you know, we've seen this sort of thing before, so I think it's the same sort of thing uh, as what happened at NPR maybe about 12 years ago, and uh, this, and far less prominently, um, Al Jazeera uh, at one point, maybe about 50, maybe around the same period, where basically these uh, media outlets that are perceived as being uh, liberal or liberal to the point of alienating conservatives. Uh, they get a there's a leadership struggle, and the thought that prevails uh, is that uh, they need to be less liberal, uh, less democratic, uh, more even, more open to Republicans and conservatives. So, uh, you know, the, so what they end up doing is throwing the voices that are more stridently liberal uh, under the bus. Don Lemon was one of those voices. Uh, so I think. Uh, he is, at least for now, not quite completely on the outs, but, you know, he's on he's on double secret probation. And because I think uh, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think with Anderson Cooper, you don't have that same level of, of vitriol. I think, you know, and, and the same goes for a, a Jake Tapper. Those guys can kind of God, there's no nice way to say this without sounding horrible. But Anderson Cooper can straddle the fence. <laughs> right. I think that's right. Uh, Anderson Cooper is, is uh, warm and fuzzy. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's known for the New Year's thing, even though, uh, you know, he didn't really uh, cover Do you himself like it when he's glory. Do you like it when he straddles that? Uh, you know, uh, he's, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, as we all are. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like what, uh, what's, you know, what he, how he didn't stand up for Kathy Griffin. I don't think that was cool. Um, some of us haven't like forgotten him, that. Yeah, he's well, he's he's very likable. Um, you know, he just he's just some people have that that face for TV that that aw shucks grin that he has, and yes, uh, you know, I mean, people love that. I mean, you just can't help it. It's one of those things like you may not want right. to, but you do. And, and he's got a great personality and everything. Have either have either of you guys met Anderson Cooper in real life? I have not, I have but not. I just like him. I have not. So I met him at the RNC a few years ago. I saw him sitting there prepping for a show, and it was early in the RNC. What I mean, like six thirty in the morning, so no one was there. But he was prepping for a show. But I said, "Here's my chance." Because I always wanted to ask him a question about Benghazi, which is the night Benghazi happened, September 11th, 
while it was being broadcast, Anderson Cooper announced on his show who was committing the raid on Benghazi. He announced it was Anshar al-Sharia on his show live. He said who it was. And that was not revealed for six months. But I used to have a video, right? Shocking, right? Yeah. He said it is plain as day. So I went up to him and I said, I'm wondering, do you remember that your show announced Ansar al-Sharia was behind the Benghazi attack the night of September 11th? And either he's a good actor, a very good actor, or he's telling the truth. He looked baffled and he said, I have no recollection at all. And I got to say, now that I host a radio show, oftentimes people say, remember the segment you did with, and they'll name something. I don't yeah. remember segments I've done. Does, does that make sense? So if anyone's like, how could Anderson Cooper not remember? I get it. And people I do that to with my videos. Like, remember that video where you said that? And I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I, I, you, I understand that. Have you experienced yeah, I, that, Ted? Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I have this. I have similar experiences. I mean, you know, uh, my, I have a pretty good memory, but it, I sometimes need a lot of detail in order. You know, if someone says, "Oh, do you remember that essay you wrote?" You know, or you remember that cartoon you you did? And it's kind of like, well, you know, I've done thousands of. So I, I need to, you know, if if nothing really happened as a result, if it just appeared, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, refresh you know my memory, and sometimes it doesn't work. You know what's interesting? Because, because we're talking, about, talking about Anderson Cooper. You go back a few years ago. Go back to before the Trump days, right? I remember liking a lot, liking uh, Don Lemon and 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 Chris Cuomo and Brian Stelter. I was big fans of all of those guys. Well, you think Trump arrangement made them crazy? Yeah, I, I, I do. Say, I think Chris Cuomo was always a little dim you know and and that always kind of like i mean i know these guys they just read off teleprompters i get that correct but but still i mean you know you know chris is not the you know there's a reason why he wasn't the governor right i mean he wasn't the smart one um and it kind of shows i mean i think you know i think anderson cooper's a smart guy and it shows um yeah you know so so i you know it's just it's a little hard for and me to take someone seriously if I don't think they're smart. I'll also mention the way I approached Anderson Cooper was not with my camera phone out, coming up to him going, hey, Cooper. What I did was I didn't raise my camera at all. I said, pardon me, Mr. Cooper, because I find a little honey goes a long way. Does that make sense, yes. Ted? I yes, don't approach I'm, people, that, I'm that way, too. Yeah, go, go ahead. Talk about that. No, I, I mean, I, I totally am. Like, uh, you know, I don't like to, conf- you know, I don't respond well to being aggressed in public. So I assume the same of any public figure uh, or anyone, really. So, you know, I, t- I tend to be nice and, uh, you know, I, t- I try to, uh, I'll try to, I remember sort of some of the bad experiences I had when I was young and I thought it was cool to confront people. Uh, independent presidential candidate John Anderson came to my high school when I was 17. And I, I never forgot the bad reaction I got when during the Q&A, I asked him about the fact that uh, at one point as a young congressman, he had sponsored a constitutional amendment to the United States, to the Constitution, to the obviously an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. 
declaring that Jesus Christ was the uh, titular head of the U.S. government. And uh, I asked him about that in a very aggressive, like, snotty 17-year-old way. And, you know, didn't get, you know, anything approximating an answer. And it always, it kind of taught me a lesson, like, you got to be nice, you know? Right. I I would... yeah, go ahead, Carmine. I would agree with him. Jesus Christ is a, is the king of the world, but uh, you can't put that in the Constitution. Well, you could try, as John Anderson did. I mean, you, you the Constitution has to be for everybody that lives in the country. Right, that's true. You know, so now, Ted, I, I have another question for you. Uh, it's about France, and Carmine. This is a question for you as well. This shows Uh-oh. how ignorant I am of the world. I did not know. Did you know what the second largest country in Europe is now? It used to be Russia, Ukraine, and then this country. Do you know what country it is, Carmine? My guess was going to be Ukraine, so I don't know. So if I told you, Ted, you're, of course, not surprised. It's France. France was the third largest country. Now, with a referendum... It's the second largest. But well, did you wait. know that? The world doesn't necessarily recognize the referendum. Well, whether, whether they do or not. My point is, is that France is apparently a big country. And I didn't know that. Did you know that, Carmine? I did not know that. I did not know they were a big country at all. Right. I, I was a little surprised by that. Now, we're stupid, right, Ted? Well, you know, I mean, uh, I, you know, I think it would have been fair to also guess Germany, maybe. Um, Germany's very big and also very pop, very populous. You know, France also, just for the record, also has this amazing geography, right? Because it has, it's like, you know, Springfield and The Simpsons, how it has everything. It has mountains and cliffs and inner city and suburbs. And you know, that's what France is like. I mean, it has you know, north. It has the North Sea on one side. It has the Mediterranean on another. Giant Atlantic coast. It has high mountains where it snows in the middle of summer. It has, uh, you know, it, it has desert-like conditions. It has. I mean, it, France is extremely. Uh, it's topographically and meteorologically diverse. I mean, it's a crazy interesting country, uh, considering you know, it, it's a big country, but considering its size, it's incredible. No, see, I actually had not considered that. And does this make me an ignorant American that I thought of France as five moms sitting around in a cafe? I thought <laughs> oh, that was just geography. What are we going to do with you, bro? <laughs> well, admit it. Picture the five moms sitting around a cafe. Where with are they? With an accordion. With an accordion. Accordion, yeah. So, Carmine. Did you know, again, have any idea of the vast geography of France that our French half-citizen Ted Rawl is laying down? I didn't even know Ted was a half-French. No. I'm not joking. Ted, brag about your... Hey, I'm a a, a full citizen of France as well as of the United States. Uh, You know, I welcome Edward Snowden to the land of us uh, double citizens today. Um, we are, uh, I'm like him. I'm a, I'm a dual national. Can you speak fluent? Well, I, uh, you know what I speak, I, I speak is basically, uh, 10th grade 
but um, very well-practiced 10th grade French. I mean, I, yeah, I'm fluent. I can speak, uh, you know, but I mean, where I run into difficulty is, let's say I had to take out a mortgage, you know, uh, if I had to talk about finance and compound interest, or if I had to, uh, you know, go on the go on French television and, and talk about like electoral politics and use all the right <laughs> acronyms and everything. There's no way, you know, you have to live you, there you for would have that an stuff. Issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so Ted, let me have you try this. Try the brie on my baguette is too runny. How would you say that? <laughs> uh, le, le brie sur ma baguette uh, coule trop. Oh, that's pretty there cool. There we go. Man. Right. right. Is, is it not? That's very cool. So That's Ted Roll, cool. well done. And by Thank the way, R A L L R A L L dot com. We'd like to get his website in there because you can buy Ted Roll swag over there. Correct, Ted? That that is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have so many don't have T shirts or mugs anymore, but I probably should change that at some point. So do you're no. an artist, Ted? Well, well, that's a that's a, I, I'm an attempted artist. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a, I, I draw cartoons and illustrations. That is so cool. I wish I had artistic and was talent. A pay, was a paid was a, give your resume, Ted, your cartoonist resume. Uh, well, I am the uh, cart- I'm the uh, political cartoonist for uh, Universal Press Syndicate. Now, Andrews McNeil. I do cartoons oh. for Sputnik Sputnik News. I'm uh, I do have a syndicated column through Creators Syndicate. I do a weekly cartoon for whowhatwhy.org, and I have uh, a synd- I also do uh, books. I have 21 books. I have I'm a Pulitzer Prize finalist, twice the winner of the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award, uh, several other awards that you've never heard of and don't care about, um, and I graduated from Columbia University in 1991 with Honors in history and a specialization in Vichy, France. I uh, I, I won I won second place in a potato sack race in seventh grade. Oh man, you win! I, I feel pretty damn inadequate right now. <laughs> now, Ted, <laughs> if uh, if I go over to tedrall.com to r a l l dot com, in fact, just rall.com, if I get a character done of myself, am I free to use that for the show? Or for any commercial purpose that I want, not, not unless t-shirt. not unless I give you that permission. Which, because I like you, Lee, I would. Uh, but you have okay. to specifically. Normally, if you just sort of ask for, if you generically were to just be like some schlub and you were asking me, uh, you know, you want and you bought an illustration of yourself, you could certainly, you know, display it in your home or in your office. But unless you get specific you know, rights transferred to you, like you you want to put it on the web or use it for whatever, uh, then that you have to get, you have to, you have to negotiate. Well, so, so that's good to know, because I will try to negotiate that because I'm going to do it very soon, actually. And I feel I look like enough of a caricature already with my glasses and so on and the tie dyes. I'm giving you some materials to work with, Ted. It's important to have, like, sort of uh, quirks. You know, I mean, one of the hard parts of drawing someone like, uh, well, Jerry Ford was famous. It was He was very hard for political cartoonists to draw. Uh, I was just a kid. Um, Obama was hard. I mean, obviously, he's black, and that's unusual for an American politician. But, he, you know, facially, he didn't have a lot to latch on to. 
Um, the smile the ears and the mole. The ears, possibly. Yeah, the, the ears. Yes. In the end, it, and then also his haircut became increasingly severe, and that from that 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 was something I was able to use a lot. Um, but you know, when he first started, his hair was short, but it wasn't quite so severe, so harsh. Um, well, you but know, yeah, my the ears, the and the and definitely the uh, when you get the shape of the eyes right, then you know, then you're okay. My brother, he's an impressionist, and he says the same thing about somebody if they don't have any character of their voice he's like how do you do an impression of them if there's no if they just sound like generic guy you know yeah that's, that's right yeah that's why you want someone like like george w bush had a fun voice ross perot man that's a great voice yeah you bill know, clinton you know. bill clinton very interesting strange voice i mean like no one sounds like bill clinton i've never personally met anyone who sounded like him correct correct it's a very unique and voice of course, Donald Trump, there's a lot of ways you can go with that too. Well, also oh, God, well, my, my friend is one of the my friend is one of the best Trump impersonators in the world, uh, John D. Domenico. Yeah, Trump's voice is really also unique. It's not it's not just like a regional thing. It's not like everybody from Eastern Queens sounds like that. They don't. It's just him. No. Yeah, you want to have so, somebody that has unique characteristics in any of these things. So, Ted, moving on to international politics, because we've been known to move on to that occasionally. Uh, talk about what's happening in Italy. And actually, Carmine, Italian-American, knows very little about it. So set him up right, Ted. Explain what the election is. And this is significant, is it not? Um, well, it's notable. Um, so therefore, yeah, I would say it is significant. Um, there's, uh, there's definitely, so God, I forget her name, the new, uh, prime minister. Um, it's just, it's, it's, I was just talking about her this morning. It's driving me crazy. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Giorgia Maloney, who, and I'm not going to do that Ital fake Italian accent like I'm, uh, you know, in doing ethnic humor from the 70s. But um, Ms. Maloney is basically, I would say, from a, a fascist dog whistle party, not a fascist party, but a party that sort of uh, echoes uh, the, the fascist, the neo-fascist origins uh, that her party comes from, the, bro the Brothers of Italy. She's forming a coalition with a fragile coalition with two other far right parties. And basically I think she's very similar to Marine Le Pen in France, uh, very similar. Um, and except Marine Le Pen might be a little more savvy and sophisticated. She learned a lot from her father's mistakes, but you know, you see, so I think, you know, it's spooky. Her rise is spooky for a lot of uh, uh, people who are in the media and, mainstream politics they're like sort of they're thinking well you know it's like now we have a far right um you know we have a far right leader in hungary uh we have turkey is is pretty far right and now italy what the hell's going on but you know I'd, i think what's really significant about this is less the move to the right than it is the less the move away from the squishy center, because, you know, in the global south, like in Latin America, we're seeing 
some we're seeing some left-wing governments, uh, you know, become more prominent. Uh, and I think, you know, basically we're in a time of crisis, and in a time of crisis, uh, people tend voters tend to make statements by uh, choosing uh, by voting for people who have strong opinions rather than uh, milk toast middle-of-the-road centrist opinions. And I think what's going on there is not that Italy is about to birth like a new Il Duce, but uh, it's it's more that the voters are very frustrated and they're trying to send a message much the way that Trump's voters are. And is, is this a pushback against the EU as much as anything, do you think, Ted? Well, I, I think it's definitely part of the witch's brew. I mean, the you know Italy's been chafing under the EU for for decades. I mean, I went and uh, I went there in 1993, and the EU and the Europe, uh, the e, the euro was already kind of tanking the Italian economy, and so it's sort of been like a low grade like sucking sound, uh, you know, really ever ever since the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, Italy's never really fully recovered. You know, it's like. The, right, the pigs countries, Portugal, Italy, Greece, Spain, have been brutalized with high unemployment and stagnant wages uh, and high cost of living by the euro ever since. And a lot of people are like, a lot of Italians are like, uh, you know, we don't have to live this way. Why, you know, why are we in this thing? Uh, you know, I mean, I personally, if I were Italian, I would vote to for, you know, it, it takes it or whatever it would be. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why these countries stay in it. I don't know what they get out of it. Well, there's a lot of pressure on them from the U.S. and the EU and NATO. Do you agree? There's a lot of pressure on these countries to stay in the EU and stay in line and stay on the same page. Does that make sense, Ted? Yeah, there is. But I'm just thinking more in terms of the voters, right? Like, why are they... What's in it for them? I mean, the only main advantage uh, is the the financial union isn't very powerful. The political union is is you know powerful in that it's really nice to be able to, if you're born in Italy, to you know say like, oh, if I wanted to work in the Czech Republic I, or France, I could I could do that. I don't I can drive across the border without a checkpoint. That's very appealing. But aside from that. Um, you know, there, there's a major, a major, there's a really high price to be paid in terms of sovereignty. And aren't there some disadvantages too? For instance, the people whose country you can drive into, people can also drive back. So when I was in Hungary a few years ago, uh, on the way to Helsinki to cover the Trump-Putin summit, I talked to some people at a cafe outside, and they were saying a lot of tech workers were coming in from Poland, and they work much cheaper, programmers and so on. Does that make sense, Ted? Yeah, no, that's totally true. Uh, yeah, I mean, so obviously there's kind of a race to the bottom with wages, but I guess conversely, um, labor can also chase high wages wherever those exist, too. But, but because other people are chasing low wages, it tends to work out in, in not high wages for workers, does that well, make no, sense, Ted? Yeah, for the most part, the advantage is for is for capital and for the employers because people have you know capital is fluid and can you know where if you're running a business you want to open a factory you can open that factory anywhere you want in Europe, but whereas you know people human beings have top cultural ties to their family to, uh, to their to the country that they were born in their language 
their religion, and they tend to, they're less likely to move around chasing high wages, you know, from Poland to Spain, uh, you know, and vice versa. Yeah, totally. Right. The advantage in general is, is, is to the employer. And do you see, you know, in the last elections in France, Le Pen did better than ever, but not well enough to take over. And in fact, a lot of the left parties did well. Is that right, Ted? That's true. Um, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon came you know, tantalizingly close to uh, making it, uh, but did not ma- did not do well enough. So, but you know, again, in I mean, French politics are in a, in in incredible crisis, um, precipitated by. I mean, I think people think Macron. I think the French voters thought that Macron was going to be the solution to the crisis of the parties, but I think actually he ended up being you know making it worse. Yeah, and how's his popularity right now? Uh, well, I haven't checked his numbers lately, but last time I checked was like maybe a month ago, and he was definitely not doing great. Yes. Now, it seems to me like a lot of the European leaders, we saw Johnson get kicked out, for instance. And I, I don't think they actually care about what the voters think. And that's why in Sweden and Finland, they just bypass the voters. Do you see that, uh, Carmine, that we have political leaders worldwide who increasingly don't actually care what the voters think, it seems to me, Carmine? Well, when you can change, I mean, in England, when you can change your prime minister every three weeks, it, it tells me that you're not really interested in what the people have to say in an election. Um, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I think it's evident in most Western countries right now, which is funny because... I thought it was interesting how they were trying to say what was happening in Donetsk was uh, a sham vote. And I'm like, how could you say that before the vote even happens? Like, it's so annoying. I yes. love how they said. I love how they said that Donetsk is a sham vote. And one of the arguments for that was that it's really easy to vote. That like people are being, you know, that Correct. it's really easy to get a ballot. And I was like, Correct. well, I thought. I thought the whole in the United States, the whole uh, greater democratization of like that we saw during the lockdown of making it easier to vote. Th- I thought that was what we were in favor of is making it the reason easier they said to it vote. Was a sham. The reason they said it was a sham is because they know exactly how Donetsk is going to vote. Oh, well, no question. Right. I mean, there is absolutely no question. It's just like, you know, there's no question. Let's just say there's some world in which Ukraine captures Donetsk, Crimea, and Luhansk, uh, you know, they're going to have a population under their control that doesn't want to be under their control. Correct. And so all the talk about democracy in the West and by Biden is a a complete hypocritical lie. Wouldn't you say so, Ted? I I do think so. I mean, it's like, it's like what's good for me is not good, you know, not good for thee. I mean, look at Biden talking about you know, wars and invading other countries. And it's like, are you kidding? Look what country you're in charge of. I mean, how many countries has the United States invaded in, like, recent history? I mean, he voted to invade Iraq, you know, and Afghanistan. It's not like this is something that happened in prehistory. Very true. And, Ted, we're out of time. A great conversation, as usual, with Ted Rall, R-A-L-L dot com. Thanks so much, Ted. And you. you learned something about Ted, did you, Carmine? 
I learned a lot about that. There we go. So let's take a short break and we'll come back with more Carmine Sabia on a Carmine Monday here on the backstory. And Car- Carmine, what do you want to talk about after the break? Donetsk, the vote. Oh, but let's do that. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Donetsk and take your calls. 202-521-1320 on the backstory. Backstory and live from the Empire of Lies. It's a Carmine Monday on the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lisa Ann, and this is the Backstory. And we're saying hello, Carmine. How are you doing? Doing great, man. How are you? Good. Good segment, Ted, don't you think? Excellent. Very informative. Yes. And coming so- up. So let me get this out of the way. Coming up this hour, the great Joe Loria from Consortium News, from Consortium News, joining us coming up this hour on the backstory. And Carmine, do you want to take us? Oops. I, that was an early boom. Command Central, boom. allow Carmine to do a boom. Is that okay? Okay, Carmine, go for the boom. This is the backstory. See, that was far more dramatic than I did. But anyway, what do you want to talk about, Donetsk, Carmine? So, first of all, here's a couple things that bother me right off the cuff. When I watch the news, and I watch a lot of CNN, and they always say, ever since Russia's unprovoked attack, and since the Russia unprovoked attack, Putin's unprovoked attack, unprovoked attack, unprovoked attack, all the time. Okay, it was provoked. Right. Number one. Number two, before the election and before the ballots even started, oh, I had this sham election they're going to do in Donetsk. What makes you think it's a sham? Most of the population is Russian. You know exactly how they're going to vote. You're calling it a sham, and that's not that they're, they're making it sound like these people are being held at gunpoint and told to vote and who to vote for. So if you no, could explain and, a little bit about it. And anyone who doubts that can look at the footage that people like Eva Bartlett and people like Fiorella Isabel have been posting of the referendum. You can see the referendum. There, people are armed with Russian flags. Have you seen the happy people voting to join Russia in Donetsk? Have you seen that, Carmine? I have not. No, I haven't seen any video. Well, it's actually pretty easy to find, but you have to look for it. Eva Bartlett has posted stuff, but there's no guns forcing people. People are happy to rejoin Russia. And I assume- These are Russian people. Right. That's why it's no surprise that they're, uh, but we have Al Killer on the phone. So let's get the calls. Shall we, Carmine? 202-521-1320. Our great friend, Al Killer. What's on your mind, buddy? You know, isn't it crazy how they uh, refer, refer to uh, Georgia uh, Maloney as far right? So Alex Jones was reading her victory speech. She talked about God, she talked about family, and she talked about the fatherland. And that's far right. 
and even Ted Ross. Then it is saying what? What? What's that, Al Killer? Again? Can you hear? No. What, what were you saying? Start again. So I, I got. I got most of that. The last little bit you said cut out. Go ahead. Okay. So what I was talking about was how crazy them refer, referring to uh, Georgia Maloney as far right when she talked about God, family, and fatherland. And they talk about Victor Orban like he's far right. You cannot put Erdogan, who is an absolute—he's a dictator. I don't care if he's elected or not. That, that is a dictator in Turkey, okay? And to put Victor Orban or uh, Georgia uh, Maloney on the same level— that's deceiving. It's it's intentional. It's intentionally deceiving. What's gonna ha- What's happening in Italy is people forget Italy got the lockdown almost as bad as Australia. It was so bad there that people were getting. They had per, they had basically permits of when they could shop at stores. So that's the backlash of when it got so bad. People said, "Okay, enough of this." We want somebody that's focused, that whatever this is, we want the opposite of it. And that, I mean, when you hear Georgia Maloney talking, she talks about globalists. She, in her victory speech, yes. we, are not gonna, we are not going to be slaves to a financial dictatorship. So and they know. I'll just, had, I'll just point out, if people, want, if people are worried about right-wing fascism, talk about Ukraine. Ukraine... They're open Nazis, period. Open Nazis with roots to World War II. Bandera and Labed, these people are actual Nazis. And you know they're dead too, right, Al Killer? Oh, yes. Oh, 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 yes, definitely. But again, I even, even you referring to them as far right. Mussolini was a socialist, and then he created, then he, when he became a quote-unquote fascist, he termed, he, he coined the term fascism. And what he said, it was a merger of state and corporate powers. And Hitler idolized Mussolini, and he, made, he created the, the National Socialist Worker Party, which in German is Nazi. They are leftists. It's just, they're, it's a different, they just needed something all they just needed a reason to fight with uh, the, the Soviet Union, really. But I mean, up until up until um, uh, Germany invaded Poland, he was allied with Stalin. So they had they it, they happened to be going against each other at, when as World War Two kicked off. But the ideals weren't much off. So that that's it's leftist. It's it's technocratic control and. Italy in, I believe it was 2012, they actually took Berlusconi out and they appointed what they called a technocrat. Right. The person was, was not elected. He was, I believe he was the head of the, uh, the European Central Bank at the time, or right, he had just left it when, um, when he was appointed. And that, that's why you got, that's because the Italian culture is, Living over there for three years, their their like I their ideals are Americans live to work and they work to live. They're more family oriented. They don't really want to get into right. politics, but it encroached on their life so much that they're like, okay, we need to be educated. And 
you know, they're they're awake in Italy, and it's gonna it's going. Well, let me ask both of you guys, Carmine and Alcala. Let me ask you something. I've been thinking about. If I said to you, are you in favor of consumerism? Are you concerned that American societies become too consumerist? If I use that term, what do you guys think of that? Al Keller, Carmine? I never heard that consumerist. Go ahead, Al. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely think we are focused on consumerism, but I also think that consumerism makes the world go around. If if you don't have something people desire, now I don't I, I do think that we were propagandized of what's important and what to buy. Um, but I, I think consumerism makes the world go around, and that's that's a reality, and that's been – we just do it on a big scale. But at the end of the day, you make something that I want, I have to offer – you know, it goes back to bartering. You have something that I want, I, it's something that you but, let's trade. So I'll point out something about fascism. In, in a sense, fascism does not really have an ideology. Fascism is a way – of moving masses. It's a way, this is what Sorrell said, one of the founders of fascism. It's a way of moving masses. And consumerism, moving masses, I think, has negative consequences. And I think the people who are pushing back are against a new world order are in some sense saying, slow down consumerism. We should not take all our values from consumerism. Does that make sense, Carmine? It does. It definitely does. Um, consumerism. It's an, it's an interesting word. Can you can you define that for me? Sure. I, I define it as a, an overfocus on uh, material things. Material. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. materialism. So you, so you pretty much described pretty much the entire West. Yeah. Yes. That's what that's what I'm saying. I think that a lot of the criticism that they have of capitalism is in fact a criticism of consumerism. And whereas I don't oppose capitalism, I see that. capitalism does not say you have to be consumerist. Capitalism equally says you can be a capitalist and in favor of small business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, I would I would say, though, I, we have all the hallmarks. So we have all the hallmarks here, and Canada is the same way. Same thing in Britain, same thing in Australia. Most of the Western countries, we have the hallmarks of fascism. And what Mussolini and Hitler figured out was, okay, government really isn't that efficient. Look at the Soviet Union. They're not that efficient at producing stuff. But we can pick. We can put, pick a, a winner, and we could put our finance behind it. China is a fascist country. They're, 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 it's capitalism for the upper people, but it's it's a fascist country where to, if you want to build a uh, a factory over there, we get fifty one percent. You get forty nine percent. It the, the, if you if it's just about producing efficiency, it it, it does work. I, I hate the ideology, but if it's just end goal, it works, and that—that's why, you know, that's why we've adopted. Look how, look how successful they were at blocking the uh, Hunter Biden laptop. 
from um, being talked about. I mean, that is fascism. You see what came out with Josh Hawley when he was talking to the um, was it the 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 Twitter um, person last week. If the government is dictating to a private company who to censor, that's fascism to a T. The government is picking winners and losers. Which it's all supposed to do, hey, of great, course. Great call out, Let me ask Command Central. Do we have a clip up? Okay, no clips. Okay, it's, I had some, something about it on the weekend, but I didn't see if it got up. So, Al Killer, go ahead. So, that, we, we in, in the West, we are, I, it, it came on. It really came on like the uh, velvet glove on the uh, iron fist. But now it's off. And for a while, it was just like, yeah, we're just, we're censoring this person and that person. And then it's like, you say something we don't like. I mean, you even said that you were sending Facebook messages and they were censoring you in, in real time. They were not. Yes. And that is absolute. That is a power that should. Well, society, in a liberal society, as we claim to be, that happened. I don't know if you guys know. Hey, what Carmine, what were you saying? Carmine, save yeah. Yeah, this this happened to my brother this week, but it also Brandon Straka, who's the founder of the the Walk Away movement, he was posting about it. He posted a thread, and a bunch of people were posting on it, saying it happened to him last year. There was that photo that came out of Hunter Biden in his underwear, basically, and a scarf, and a lot of people posted it as a joke or whatever, make fun of Hunter Biden, whatever. In this past week, including my brother. People have been given 30-day restricted accounts. They can't advertise. They can't go live. They can't do anything from now until basically after the election uh, or till, till October. I should Because of a, a meme that they shared. I'm talking about if they shared it any time in the past two years, they're getting nailed for this for this photo. And tons. I, I've read I've read hundreds of comments, people who have been who have been basically silenced because of this one photo and it's just interesting to me because i had said to a friend of mine today i said the left loves to say that they hate fascism but they love fascism they adore fascism they embrace it as long as it's on their side and then they call in fact the else they're arguing with fascists yes it's, it's the it's right best, it's the best in, in fact i personally think that fascism is a real threat that people need to be focusing on. More so than communism, the real threat right now is fascism. Do you agree, Al Killer? Oh, definitely. And it, it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, people have this idea like they're not going to work and they're just going to get like these universal. No, you're going to work. You are going to work for the state. Like, that's what they don't get. They're going to work more than they've ever worked. And it's going to be to ser- it's going to be to serve the state. No, d- d- definitely. I, again, I don't think communism and fascism, there's much, I don't think there's a difference. I just think fascism is more focused. Well, I think the what you're talking about, really, is they share an authoritarian base. Yes. And, bo- and not all versions of that are so pro-authoritarian, including communism. There are some leftists we're not full-on authoritarian. Now, I agree it tends to go that way for reasons of ideology, but it's authoritarianism. What do you think about Edward Snowden getting Russian citizenship? 
let me point out one thing about that. Why did it take so long? The answer is that Snowden didn't want Russian citizenship. Does that make sense? He was not bucking for that. He was not trying to be a Russian citizen. He delayed it somewhat because he knew they would use that against him. But eventually, really, his freedom went out over the lies that the West tells. What do you think, Al Kilmer? You know, you know something now, growing up, would an American ever flee to the Soviet Union for freedom? No, it was the opposite. It was the it was it was Soviet Union defectors fleeing to the West, specifically America, for freedom. That is how much the paradigm has shifted in this country and in the world. That a part because look, Edward Snowden exposed criminal activity on for for the United States government, criminal activity, and. The people that, that were the heads of the NSA and the CIA, they lied right to Congress, and nothing happened. And the person who exposed their lies had to flee to a country that is looked at as, as authoritarian by the, the majority of the West. That, that is, and you know, Trump, his two biggest mistakes, not pardoning, pardoning Julian Assange, and not pardoning Edward Snowden. If you really wanted to get back at the deep state, those were the two moves that would have that that you would have gone down in history as somebody that took him on outside of JFK. He he would have been number one. What say you, Carmen Xavier? I I, I say nothing. I have no <laughs> comment on that. I think he said it all. What's that? I think he got it covered. I'm just I'm just listening right now. <laughs> Yeah, great job, Al Keller. You you left Carmine speechless, and that's he really tricky. did. He's he's a great he's always a great caller. Yeah, we have great callers on the show, and Al Keller is one of the best. Anything else, Al Keller, before we move, move along? Great call as usual. Let's just pray for peace because it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. Hey, before we let you well, go, so, Alex Killer, are you, are you hearing? Are you guys both? I'll ask you both. Are you guys hearing the rumors out of China? Would you, can you say that one more time? Are you guys hearing the rumors out of China about G? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how true it is, but yeah. I mean, he's either getting super coronated or he's gone. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. Lee, have you heard that? One of the two. No, I've not heard. Yeah, there's rumors well, I, that uh, to, I. I, I really think that there's a lot of targeting of alternative media where they they put certain things out and they want people to cover it so then they can say, ha ha, you were the one that covered this, you were wrong. And I, I really th- I really like to lay back, see what, what comes out of stuff, and then I, I comment. But yes, I, I did see that. No, I, I cannot not believe Western reporting on China in general. That's my Correct. take. Coming out of Taiwan. Coming out of it's coming out of Taiwan, and allegedly it's being leaked to them from the Chinese government that either Xi Jinping's on house arrest and it was a military coup. Because for it, definite that is definite. Trains were stopped and flights were stopped. There's no that is 100 percent true. Now what they were stopped for, we don't know, but they're supposedly like the information is the military is is going into Beijing. Again, that that's coming from a few sources. Mike Adams. 
um, was one of them. That, that was, and his wife is from Taiwan, so he was commenting on that. Um, he covered that Saturday, but w- we'll see how it plays out. Because I noticed that there's been reporting for a while that, that Putin's in trouble. Yeah. You, you notice that? And he's got cancer and everything else. And they've all been lies. So you know, I'm tending, especially since it's coming from Taiwan, I'm going to give it a couple of days. And I, I just don't know what's going on. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. Absolutely. You ever see, I know you've seen um, the Skull and Bones movie with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Matt Damon, um, The Good Shepherd, right? Now, yes. British, the member of the British intelligence is who the guy was posing as a Nazi, and Matt Damon outs him for the FBI, and then he runs back into him in in England. Well, one of the things that the the British were running, they, they're they were saying that Adolf Hitler, they were running um, propaganda in Germany against Hitler, saying that he had um, he had contracted syphilis. So ever since I saw that movie, stuff like that, I don't believe it. Just, it's and it's complete propaganda. I mean, they'll show him if you like drop the pencil, and they would keep redoing. They would keep showing the movement of him bending down to pick it up and saying he's shaking. So it's stuff like that that you just, you know, he's been supposedly dying for what two years now. Same thing with uh, yes. Kim Jong. That's Kim right. Jong in North Korea. Yeah, he he's been dead for he. You know, he's a mummy. And the thing is, when you predict someone's death, eventually you're right. And then you go, see, I was right. Eventually, no, I mean it. Think about it. Predicting someone's death is a good prediction to make because it comes to us all, right? So, remember they said he had. As soon as, go ahead, Al Keller. You don't remember they were saying in like uh, 2020, they were saying that uh, Putin had gotten COVID and he was deathly ill and he was making people yeah. go through these spacesuits to come see him? Yeah. Now, let me talk about COVID because I want to talk about this and stay on Al Keller because I, I want your response too. I'm seeing on one hand, the Canadian government has canceled all COVID restrictions. They don't need a mask. They're not stopping people at the border. Did you see that? Canada has canceled everything having to do with COVID. No mask, no restrictions, nothing. Have you seen that? Yeah, but Lee, look, it's again. That's uh, that's why I was so adamant. This is a, this is the this is the World Economic Forum because it, it's not just Canada. U.S. military stopped it. New York City stopped it. On the other hand, I'm seeing that Moderna and uh, what's the other one, the big one, Pfizer. 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 They're looking at getting new COVID drugs for two-year-olds. Have you seen these drugs for two- and four-year-olds that they're getting oh, approval on? Any- so, we're, on the other hand, the big pharmaceutical companies are getting new drugs approved. And that's happening as an entire country, Canada, cancels all restrictions. So, I'm a little confused. Does that make sense? Does my confusion make sense, Carmine? Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think the Mexicans have either. So it's just us the bill, right? And for two-year-olds, and was there a COVID problem? I was missing with three-year-olds. 
Hey, that wasn't get them. The quicker you get them in the medical look, big pharma is as much an industrial complex as the military industrial complex is, and they never saw better a better opportunity than COVID presented itself. So whether it was, um, um, I think the, it's clear that that was a a man-made virus that escaped from a lab, well, quote-unquote, escaped from a lab. And we, we financed it. It's admitted. We financed the the research on it in, in China. And I'm sure it, if the Republicans do uh, take both houses, there, there will be investigations into that. And Al Kilmer, we got to go. Great segment. Great call. Appreciate your call. Great job. And coming up next, the great Joe Loria from Consortium News with us on the backstory. And we are back in the backstory and blasting out on the radio in the Empire of Lies on 105.5 FM and AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joined now by the great, uh, from Consortium News, uh, the great Joe Loria. Joe, how you doing? I'm fine, Lee. How you doing? Doing great. And really pleased to have you with us. We were just talking with Al Keller, one of our callers, about the rumors about Xi Jinping. They're saying... There's been a military coup. Now, as uh, one of the great indie news publishers, when you hear stuff like this, how do you approach? Because obviously, if there's a military coup, it's a big story. But when you hear about a story like this, how do you approach it, Joe? First of all, where where is this coming from? From social media? I mean, I've seen these tweets. I saw someone at Newsweek... uh, a reporter apparently won a Pulitzer Prize and some other big awards from mainstream media was tweeting it out, but then had to uh, and said it was a rumor and then had to pull it back later. So, I mean, I would ignore this story completely. Uh, I don't know where the origin of it is, but I think if this uh, we just have to wait to see if something like this is true and we will uh see pictures from Beijing. We will hear people from there. I mean, it is not a completely closed society. We're not talking exactly about North Korea here. So uh, if something like that right. happened, we would know it. And it's it's rubbish. It's rubbish. I wouldn't I'd spend five seconds talking about it, frankly, Lee. No, no, that sums up what, what I think. But I, I, you know, I almost think people learning what your approach to something like this is. You come into it skeptically, right? Yes, I would call, you know, I mean, normally I would call someone at the Chinese government in the embassy here in Washington or at the UN, but not in this case, because they, they would laugh at us and they would never say whether it was true or not anyway. So, yes, absolutely skeptical on every story you approach. You must. That's a bedrock of journalism. That's we don't see a lot of it anymore, especially when it comes to U.S. officials unnamed pushing some classified information, leaking it to push American agenda, which is what the mainstream media does, unfortunately. No, and that's, and it's gone into, I would say, overdrive in the past six, eight months since Russia began the special military operation. I've really never seen it this bad, of blatant lies over and over and over again. 
But well, they it's never. It's wartime, Lee, and every side lies and puts out nonsense. And uh, so we we seem in the United States to think that we've got this free, objective, and serious professional press. So that it's shocking when you know that they're just regurgitating things that are coming from Ukrainian officials or U.S. officials, unnamed. Just go back to any war, First World War. The the Germans were eating babies in Belgium. I mean, we've got a long history of this. Yeah. So that's what they were reporting no. then. So now we're hearing stuff that you cannot verify, uh, especially what's going on on the ground. This is uh, whatever either side says. I definitely do not accept at first glance. If both sides are saying the same thing happened, then that's when you can pretty much assume that it's true. But if they don't, we, you just can't decide necessarily. Unless you're there on the ground yourself observing it. And there are very few war correspondents on the ground there, especially from the West. And I'm certainly not there. Now, Joe Loria, I pointed out that you're one of the premier publishers in independent, actual independent media at Consortium News and founder of Robert Perry. Is it a mistake, you think, for people to assume that news coverage used to be better? I think in some ways it used to be better. But I think in a lot of ways, this news coverage for decades has been a pile of lies. Do you agree? Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of deception going on. Yes, uh, I don't think the press has ever been what uh, some people may have thought it was. It was never. Yes. Close to perfect. However, there have been some fundamental changes. Uh, let's look at television news for a moment. Go to YouTube and look up uh, the first ever broadcast of CNN. You could see it. It's there. The whole couple of hours of it. It's extraordinary. Interviews with the president, uh, investigative reports, 10 minutes long on a faulty fuel gauge on, a, on airlines. They gave news. They did investigations. They showed that you could do journalism on TV. What happened? Fox News really changed the game because they made an openly, openly partial uh, partisan broadcast for the Republicans. And they killed CNN and MSNBC, which just had started some time after that. They killed them in the ratings. And that's the name of the game, obviously. So what did you see? Gradually, CNN and MSNBC have turned into just a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. So you've lost any kind of television news. And what you've got are talk show hosts, not news anchors, not news presenters, as you once did. People who, like Walter Cronkite, for example, had a background in Print journalism, newspapers, or wire services—that's where those guys came from. Now they're 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 movie stars. They are—it's all about the personality of the presenter in each show, and they're saying the same garbage. And it's a talk show, so there's no more TV news. In terms of newspaper journalism, there were some in New York City. There were 12 newspapers at one time, eight dailies when I when I was born. So they're down to uh, three essentially now. Two tabloids in the New York Times. There's been a consolidation of ownership. Um, and we've also seen, of course, from the 50s, the CIA, without question, infiltrating newsrooms to control what's going on. And now it seems like they don't even need to do that because CIA officials are actually former and national security officials are on TV right now. So they are directly involved in promulgating what used to be just whispered in the ears of reporters. They're going on themselves on TV to push this stuff. So there's no question that the, the there's a been a uh, decline in journalistic standards on TV and in the press. There are fewer jobs, um, and they are openly now pushing a government position where they did it more covertly before, but it was never great. I'll put it that way. Now, Joe, 
People talk about the Uniparty, and they say that on issues of foreign policy, the Democrats and the Republicans are basically the same. But do you think there's also a unit narrative, a narrative that everyone goes along with, and it's beyond ideology, and gets into some of this? How important do you think people talk about the World Economic Forum? Do you think they're under something? Or do you think they're crazy conspiracy theorists? Joe Lawyer? Uh, well, just in general, I would say that there's no question there's one a narrative that's enforced about foreign affairs on uh, international policy. Domestically, there are differences, I think, uh, between the two parties. But on foreign affairs, they're indistinguishable from one another. And it's, a, you know, it's an agenda that pushes the U.S. Uh, interests abroad. That's what not what journalism should be doing. You should be reporting what's happening in the conflict between nations, which is incredibly dramatic and important to report by giving both sides of the story, the, try to get the point of view of all the players, whether they, one of them is Iran or not, or North Korea. Try to find out what you can, what is going on, make the U.S. just one of the players. But of course, the way it's news is presented to us about international affairs, it's the U.S. is the good guy. It's that kindergartenish and 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 certain countries who are not with the US are the bad guys. I'm not going to go with the World Economic Forum because I uh, it's not something that I've delved very deeply into but I don't trust them. I mean this is a very important uh, meeting in Davos for example every year and they meet, and other things happen throughout the year and these these are very powerful people who compare notes and there's no question that they probably agree on things whether they can implement that through the media, through their governments is another matter, but if they're not to be trusted, that's for sure. I'll say that about the WEF. Now, Joe, you, you talk a lot about U.S. Uh, homogeneity. Did I get that right? I think so. <laughs> I, okay, I think so. It's a tough word for me, but homogeneity. Yeah. Can you talk about ways in which this world that the U.S. has run has not worked out well for the U.S. We we talk about the U.S. running everything and global homogeneity, but do you think that's worked out well for the U.S. or badly for the people of the United States? For the people of the United States, it's worked out terribly. Yes. For the rulers, uh, um, for the economic and political interests of very powerful people, it has up until now worked out pretty well. That's why they're doing it. They're not doing it because they're interested in the well-being of the American people or the European people or any people, uh, the Ukrainian people. They don't care about this. this is, from their actions, you can tell this. So what is happening now, of course, is... Uh, what they've done in terms of the economic warfare against Russia has certainly backfired, particularly in Europe. It has not brought down the Russian economy. It has, it's threatening the European economy and to a lesser extent the American one. And this is something extraordinary. Is this what they want? They had to know this could happen or they didn't. I mean, we never know exactly the level of intelligence, the amount of thought or gaming theory that they went through to see, well, what could happen? Somebody had to know that this could be one of the results, that the sanctions against Russia could backfire uh, on the West, which is what they have done. But as I argued in a piece uh, that I wrote on February 4th in Consortium News, that's 20 days before the Russian invasion, that the U.S. was setting, the U.S. wanted this invasion. They needed Russia to invade because otherwise they couldn't launch the economic war, the information war, and the proxy war against Russia, which, whose aim is to bring down the Russian government. We've heard that directly from Biden now, from Lloyd 
Austin, uh, to weaken Russia. There's no doubt in my mind. And I thought I was really uh, smart during that 20 days before the invasion. But now we just republished a piece from John Pilger, who wrote, if Putin can be provoked into coming to their aid, meaning the people of Donbass, his preordained pariah role will justify a NATO-run guerrilla war that's likely to spill into Russia itself. So even Pilger back eight years ago saw where this was headed, uh, that this would be a U.S. Uh, uh, mostly the responsibility of the U.S. to push Russia as far as they did until they could not take any more and they actually invaded. And again, that's what the U.S. wanted. But I want to add this right now, that I think the time for responsibility, the time for who's right and who's wrong in Ukraine is over. We've got to end this war. It has gotten way too dangerous now. We can have that argument later. We've got two powers facing off now. And if Russia interprets an attack on these new republics that, the, that they're going to, new uh, provinces of Ukraine that they will absorb into Russia very soon. If they interpret that as an attack on the Russian Federation, rising to the level where we could see a nuclear exchange, we are, we, we're, we've got to stop this immediately. And normally you need an outside power to come in, a neutral power to say, okay, guys, stop it. And that would be the UN. And unfortunately, throughout the long history of the UN, and I covered UN headquarters for 25 years, as you no leave for the Boston Globe and the Wall Street Journal and, the, and a bunch of other newspapers. The Secretary General of the UN, the only one who ever did something like that was Dag Hammarskjöld, the second Secretary General who stood up to both the Soviet Union and the United States and made himself a, a an impartial arbiter of affairs. And guess what happened to him? He was most likely assassinated when his plane went down. The current Secretary General has completely destroyed any impartiality. He's totally taken the West side 100% in this very complex conflict rather than being nuanced about it. So he has no role to play. And this is what I fear. This is really what I wanted to say on your program, that I fear that without uh, any role by a, a, an arbiter, we are just putting out everyone's lives is in the hands of the leaders of the United States and Russia right now, basically. You could forget about NATO and Europe because they just pretty much do what the U.S. says. Although at the very beginning of this conflict, you did see Macron of France and Schultz of Germany going to uh, Moscow to try to uh, listen to what Putin was saying, at least. And that's when they Russia put forward those, pre those treaties, those draft treaties in December, that had they been at least negotiated seriously, had Minsk been implemented about Donbass, giving it uh, autonomy. Don't forget, Russia went eight years ignoring the Declaration of Independence of both those uh, provinces in Ukraine and Donbass. They were pushing for the Minsk Accord. So for eight years, Russia was patient about this. And France and Germany, the leaders there, realized that Russia's security interests are important. Henry Kissinger has recognized that. But this group of neocons running the show right now in Washington with their allies, like in the Green Party in Germany, have really pushed this thing way too far. And I don't know where it's going to end. No one does. And as I said, there's no one to step in who's impartial to try to stop this. And do you trust the U.S. people, Austin and so on, to not go nuclear? Up 
up until now, up, in, up until now, I have thought the Pentagon was the only uh, force that was saving us in the U.S. side, because from the very beginning of this conflict, there were voices in the State Department, some in Congress, who talked about a direct NATO or U.S. war against Russia. And this had to be avoided. Even Biden, to his credit, said we have to avoid that because that's World War III. He used that term early on in the spring. Uh, and the Pentagon, I still put my hopes that they will uh, pull back and not allow this to happen. But of course, there's the other side. And I don't know what's going on in the Kremlin. And we, uh, I, as I said, what we don't know now is are these new territories that are about to become, from Russia's point of view, part of the Russian Federation, if they're attacked, in what way will they be attacked? Could it trigger some uh, nuclear use by Russia. I don't believe they Putin threatened nuclear attack, as everyone in the West is saying, as Biden has said at the UN. I think this was a warning. And I think there's a difference between a threat and a warning. If you go up to a, an electric power station and there's a sign that says warning, high voltage, it doesn't say threat, high voltage. There's a difference. It was a warning. And I hope that the warning is heard. But that would mean that the NATO and the West would have to start negotiating now and end this conflict with this territory most likely staying in the hands of Russia. Ukrainians are not going to accept that. NATO is not going to accept that. Certainly Washington will not because their aim is to drag this war out as long as possible to bleed and weaken Russia. Are they going to give up on that faced with nuclear attack? This is why the warning was given. And it was a warning given on February 24th in Putin's speech announcing the war when he said he reminded the world that they had nuclear weapons if anybody interferes. So that was also a warning that we have to take that warning seriously and not allow this war to continue another day. But I don't see it ending very soon. Do you, Lee? I, I don't see I, I don't see where this is going at all. Uh, and I, I'm very worried about it because I used to think that the U.S. would not possibly go there. Now I think they might have no choice but to go there because the only way to get out of the trouble they created for the world economically may be to go to war. Does it make sense, Joe? Yeah, but not nuclear war. You know, if there were no nuclear weapons, there's no question there would have been a conventional war. NATO would have probably invaded invaded Russia. Um, there's somebody, Alberto Moravia, an Italian novelist from way back in the 60s and 70s, wrote a book about this, basically how nuclear weapons have saved the world from World War III. And it still is to this moment. Uh, otherwise, there would have been, without question. Uh, uh, a conventional war right now between Russia and NATO. We have to avoid that happening. This never should have happened. The U.S. could have stopped this by agreeing to talk about those draft proposals, implementing Minsk. And that would have at least put a long break on this. There's no way Russia. And I do think that Putin has made revanchist statements in the past that Ukraine, parts of which were, of course, conquered by Catherine the Great. That's the Russian imperialism, by the way. This nonsense about a Russian they're not an imperialist power in Ukraine. That happened in the 18th right. century. That was Russian imperialism. It, it was part of Russia until Khrushchev gave that to Ukraine in 1954. And those were all and still are Russian lands. And those people were attacked in Donbass after the coup in 2014. And I think this has given an opportunity for 
uh, Putin to say we're taking back those countries, uh, those parts of Ukraine that were a part of Russia for so long. That's not imperialism, because imperialism, when you go somewhere where you've never been before and they don't want you there, <laughs> that's imperialism. They were there, right, the Russians right. have been there, and the people are welcome. Many of the Russian speakers are welcoming, at least Russia, and they're going to vote for this referendum. I just want to clear that this is a revanchism is different than uh, imperialism, and it wouldn't have happened. It's not a cause of this war. It's a consequence of this war. The causes of this war I put squarely on the West side. I know this makes me a Putin puppet. Well, go to hell, you know. I'm sorry. I was just saying, I was just saying he was asking about this. I said, he goes, who's responsible for the war? You know, the war is it UK, Ukraine or Russia? I said, United States. <laughs> yeah. And you couldn't and he understand like, yeah, that, right? Whole, he, no, I had to go into a whole explanation right. about what we did in NATO and Right, you know, but the whole, like I said, the whole the whole thing. This is sham. This voting is a sham, is a preemptive strike because they know how this vote's going to go. You know, it, they and they don't tell the people. If you watch the news, they don't tell the people the whole story about you know these are Russian speakers. These are basically Russians. They they've been wanting to be a part of Russia. They don't talk about that on the news. They just tell you, oh, here comes a fake vote, and they're going to fake say they were. It's so stupid. When have you heard about the thousands of people who were killed since 2014 by a U.S.-backed coup government Correct. in Kiev against the people in the Donbass? I mean, it was not one word spoken at the U.N. Security Council meeting about that, except by Lavrov. So this is just airbrushed out of the story. And that's the way you control a story, but not by necessarily overtly lying, by cutting out important context, which changes the entire narrative. And this is the one that the majority of people, Correct. and if you want to put forward causes of the war, like historians did when they said that the, the, the Versailles Treaty, the onerous conditions on Germany led, was one of the reasons leading to Nazism in World War II. Well, nobody accuses those historians of being pro-Nazi. But if you try to explain the causes of this war, then you're, of course, you know, I'm just getting paid by the Kremlin. So it's just yeah, a no, very, yeah. very difficult environment to to speak in and to argue in because there's such confusion purposely sown, mostly by the West here. And, and Joe, I, I put it on that at Consortium News, you're carrying on the journalistic legacy of the great Robert Perry. Have you went back and watched the film Ukraine on Fire? Featuring Robert Perry lately. Well, I saw Executive the follow-up follow featuring you, Lee, as well. Yes, I, I, yes. Did see, I saw both of them. Yes, uh, when back a couple of months ago when the crisis really turned hot. But I'd seen it originally, too. And we had uh, Igor on the director on our webcast, yes. CN Live, for about two out, three hours. He spoke to us, yeah. And Robert, Robert Perry in 2014 and 2015 was prescient on this. You've been... Consortium News have been reporting the truth since well before the military operation went off. Is that right, Joe? That's, that's correct. As I pointed out, Pilger's piece was published in The Guardian, which we republished yes, or over the weekend. But yes, Bob Perry wrote a story in 2014 saying, ready for a nuclear war over Ukraine. And I frankly, when I saw that, I read it, I thought, well, maybe he's gone a little too far this <laughs> this time. And he was completely on, on the mark, wasn't he? Now I know he was right. But at the time, I thought it was exaggerated. It wasn't. Yes, Bob understood uh, the key facts of Ukraine before 
a lot of people in the United States. Certainly at that time, there wasn't as much alternative media. Or it was starting to pipe up but much more now in the last eight years. But, but of course, we've been around since 1995. Bob Perry founded this thing, former AP investigative journalist. So Bob was way, way ahead of the game. And there were our reporting on Ukraine then, and I have to say now, has been amongst the best you're going to find anywhere. That's unfortunate. Well, I wish it was wider known. I, I, I agree, though. I agree completely. Yes. And Joe, let me talk about this for a second. You're a great publisher and journalist with a lot of mainstream and independent journalistic credibility. Do you think, as I do, that the most important virtue for journalists these days is courage? Mm. It's not so much, it's not, the truth is actually not that hard to figure out. But reporting the truth requires, I think, a lot of courage and bravery to fight against the narrative and the attacks that come on people. What do you think, Joe Lawrence? I, I do. It's not the same kind of courage as being a war correspondent, but it doesn't hasn't done us any favors. It hasn't done us any favors to report what we've had. Instead, it's brought uh, PayPal to suspend us permanently so we can't raise money through PayPal. And a news guard gave us the red letter because uh, they say that we've published false information about Ukraine. I responded with a 9,000-word article that anyone could read in which I dissected everything that they said that we had said wrong. And I think I made the case that they, in fact— uh, needed to correct their reporting on Ukraine. But of course, I didn't stop them. So there, there are many difficulties to stick to what you think the facts are telling you, despite this outside noise. And of course, everyone knows what uh, it could be like to be attacked by trolls and organized trolls on social media. I mean, I put that Pilger story on our uh, Twitter page and about 30 trolls came out immediately to attack him in the most vicious kind of way. It's ridiculous. It made me laugh, but that's out there. They're organized. They're ready to stop you. Uh, there are organizations like NewsGuard that want to damage your reputation with a red mark. There's PayPal that will, wants to damage you financially. We don't know where else this will lead. But yes, so that's the kind of courage uh, I think before people would say to me, oh, you have a lot of courage. I didn't believe them. But I think now, I mean, consortium news. I think now, uh, back then it was just you're a Putin puppet, you're a Kremlin stooge, you're a Saddam apologist when Bob wrote about things, why the yep. invasion of Iraq shouldn't have happened. So that was the level of attack then, which was pretty bad. But yeah, OK, and now it's still moved is. into. Yeah, it's, that still happens. But now it's we've added uh, organization like NewsGuard giving people red marks. We have gotten out yep. oh, PayPal, yeah. and we don't know what else is out there. We've got this kill list on uh, in Ukraine, in which one of our writers, Scott Ritter, uh, is on that list. Roger Waters, the rock musician, is on that list. So, um, you know, it's the, the stakes are getting higher, so the courage has to get stronger. And, and in regards to that, do you have any opinion on Edward Snowden becoming a dual citizen of Russia and the U.S. today. I know only that what what took so long is that Snowden was not trying to become a Russian citizen. In fact, I think he was trying to avoid that because he knows that once he becomes one, a lot of people will use that against him. What do you think, Joe? Oh, absolutely. He knew that that's what happened, and it's happening already. From what I understand, uh, I've read, I don't know how true it is, but I think he wanted 
a passport. He doesn't have his American passport. Remember, it was canceled. That's how he wound up in Russia to begin with. He was on his way to somewhere in Latin America and the plane, probably Cuba, and the plane from Hong Kong stopped in Moscow and he was going to transfer to another plane. And when he landed, the Russian authorities uh, saw that his passport that he presented was not valid. It had been canceled while he was in flight. So it's the American, it's the State Department that forced him into Russia to begin with. That has to be known. Now he wants to be able to travel. He has no passport. He'll have a Russian passport. He's got to be damn careful. And I'm sure he's very well aware of this to wherever he goes, because there are people out to get him. There's no question about that if he leaves Russia. And I don't know where he would go. And oh. certainly he'd probably be in disguise. And I don't know where he's going to go, but he's certainly not coming back to the U.S. because uh, he will be immediately put in jail and tried under the Espionage Act, as they're trying to do to Julian Assange, who, by the way, helped him get out of Hong Kong. So I think this is all a practical thing for Snowden. I don't think he'd rather, he'd rather not have a Russian passport. It's the Americans, again, who forced him into Russia and are forcing him to get a Russian passport. What other passport would he get being in, being living in Russia right now? So Right. And you brought up Assange. And recently, you co-hosted an Assange event in D.C. So talk about that a little bit and the upcoming October event for Assange. Yeah, yeah we, went to, we were at the Cleveland Park Library in Washington, and uh, we had a live audience there. And we also had guests online on our Zoom, on our webcast through Zoom. And it was the first time we ever did anything like that technically, and it came off pretty much without a hitch. And it was the aim of this program was to give the basic issues about Assange to to uh, debunk five myths about Assange, being a rapist, not being a journalist, being a hacker, things of that sort. Uh, and also we brought on uh, Daniel Ellsberg, of course, the Pentagon Papers whistleblower, James Goodall, who was the New York Times general counsel during the Pentagon Papers case, both extremely worried about Assange and the fate of the First Amendment because of what they're doing to Julian Assange or what they want to do if they bring him here. And we also had John Kiriakou, a CIA whistleblower. We had two people who were charged under the Espionage Act, Ellsberg and Kiriakou. He was at the library with us. We had Chip Gibbons at the library. Uh, and we had Stefania Morizzi, an Italian journalist, who spoke a lot about the rape, uh, the, the false rape allegations, and Kathy Vogan, our executive producer of our webcast, and uh, who's written articles for us about the hacking allegations against Assange, why they're false. So uh, this was a basic story. Uh, uh, exposition of the the issues around Assange intended for a general audience. 15,000 people were invited in a circular in that neighborhood around Cleveland Park in northwest D.C., and 40 people showed up. It's pretty sad. But we had over 4,000, close to 5,000 viewers so far online. But it's still... People are not wanting to open their minds about Assange. The National Press Club refuses to support him, even though the Committee to Protect Journalists, uh, Reporters Without Borders, the International Federation of Journalists, and numerous other press and human rights organizations are supporting Assange and calling on Biden to drop these charges. The Press Club in Washington, of which I'm a member, refuses, even though they're very well and aware of the case, Joe, they told Joe, us. Yeah. Joe, without wanting to get you in a fight with anyone, because yeah. I don't want I'm to. ready. I'm ready. Go ahead. Are you are you suspicious of journalists who do not talk about Assange? Well, I, I think I know why uh, they probably don't, because they don't want to face 
the issues. Because if they did and they really studied it just a little bit, they'd realize what is going on and what's wrong with the prosecution of this journalist. And he is a he engaged in journalistic activity. It really doesn't matter whether we call him a journalist or not. His activity was journalistic, and that was what Bob Perry, our founder, wrote in December of 2010. That what Assange was doing was exactly what he did, and he is well known for breaking some of the biggest Iran-Contra stories for the Associated Press, including naming Oliver North and his role in that. So the article the title was titled, uh, We Are All, all, all Journalists Are Julian Assange. So they don't want to look at it. They want to cling to the fact that he Joe was a hacker. Yeah. Joe, we're okay. out of time. But it's truly an honor to have you on the show. Great appearance, as usual. And please come back on sometime soon to talk about more stuff that's going on. A dose of truth from Joe Lawyer from Consortium News. Read that every day. And thanks so much to Carmine Sabia for doing a great job as our guest co-host. And thanks so much to the great Ted Rawl. I got to buy some of his art soon at RALL.com. We'll see you tomorrow here on The Backstory. Backstory.